0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Neo Kobe Pizza, the only gaming podcast that floats in soup. Joining me today is a good friend of mine, Mr. Jack Quiches. How you doing today, sir?
1: I'm doing alright, Mark. How are you?
0: I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. So, I came to you about the idea of doing the podcast before we had any kind of real idea where we wanted to go with it. And we kind of went back and forth a lot before coming up with today's discussion topic on video game morality.
1: Yeah. A very broad subject.
0: Yeah, I think, I think we've kind of got it isolated to a point where we can have a decent hour or so conversation on it, but I imagine there might be points to revisit later. But at this point, it's, it's mostly, I think, the key subject is just talking about how it works mechanically. More than anything else, and I think there's there's definitely a lot of room to go with that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the nice thing about that particular subject is that it can be revisited again and again and again
0: through the years. Yeah, especially considering how developers are trying to implement it and how they're likely not going to stop anytime soon, and how we've seen it evolve from when it was first introduced—god, over a decade or so ago at this point. So that it's Definitely a topic with a lot of room to grow. So let's let's start off with the, the basic explanation of the thesis, more or less. Just game developers clearly want to create living worlds to the best that they're capable of doing with the tech provided to them. And one of the methods that a lot of developers, especially in story-driven games and RPGs, things like that, will try to do to give these games more life than they might have otherwise is they'll try to apply the concept of morality to those universes, whether it be Fable or Fallout or Mass Effect or Deus Ex or Bioshock or whatever. They want to emulate real-world morality on a smaller, more condensed scale within the confines of their game world. Unfortunately, as we've seen over many, many years and many, many attempts, a lot of developers are kind of bad at that. Most systems kind of boil down to base decisions, cartoony over-exaggerations or underplays of what morality might actually be, and we had kind of discussed going into this the idea of ludonarrative dissonance versus ludonarrative consonance within the confines of gaming morality mechanically.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Going back to what you were talking about with living worlds, I tend to attack it. Under a different name, but I suspect it's the same thing that you're talking about, um, simply under the name of interactivity. A lot of designers want their worlds to be things that players can at- interact with. That when I do something in the world, the world reacts to what I have done. So, you know, I go down the street, um, I'm driving a car, I hit another car, uh, bystanders kind of look over in shock, and maybe they run away. Maybe a cop car comes around and they want to investigate what I'm doing, right? The world reacts to what I'm doing um... a lot of the moral choices in games in my conception is uh... game developers trying to make it so that the world on a very fundamental level is responding to what my choices as a player is So that kind of plays into that ludonarrative dissonance right um, i think you've talked about it on the podcast before so this might be old ground but just to replay a little bit of that discussion Right, ludonarrative dissonance comes from the the Latin word ludus um, and narrative, and ludus meaning play, narrative meaning story. Um, ludonarrative dissonance basically saying, look, sometimes you have the gameplay in a game and the story in the game, and they are in conflict, right?
0: Yeah, this was um, we did a whole a full discussion on that uh, myself and Matt Yeager did I think a little over a month ago.
1: Okay, excellent, excellent. So basically, you know, you'll look at games like maybe Grand Theft Auto 4. Where the main character is kind of crying, he's like, "I, I was a criminal, and it was a bad life, and it just takes something from you." And then, of course, the gameplay is kind of encouraging you to hit stuff and blow stuff up and shoot stuff. Um, so the the character, um, the main character in that game, is in conflict what with, with what the player chances are wants to do and is inclined to do.
0: Oh yeah, it's it's. I believe the way that uh, Chris Franklin from Errant Signal had described it was a serious character who also commits acts of wacky cartoon violence.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So the minute, it seems to me, the minute you say that, hey, there are games where the story and the gameplay are in conflict, you're simultaneously saying that the ideal game is when the story and the gameplay are not only not in conflict, but are the same thing. That That the ideal game will be a place where I can't tell where the story ends and the gameplay begins or when the gameplay ends and the story begins. That those are so deeply intertwined that I don't even notice the difference. And so I was like, well, that's ludonarrative confluence or consonants, whatever word you want to use there. As I get older, I, I, I've, start, I've started to see the value in maybe keeping those things separate. But definitely um, there is a gaming grail of uh, complete uh, destruction of, of that dichotomy, of that split between the gameplay and the story. And it seems to me that one of the ways that game, uh, game designers try to do that is by having morality, by having moral choices in a game, or even uh, what's called a karma meter, right? Where if you make certain good choices, uh, this meter goes to the good side. Or if you make bad choices, or evil choices, perhaps is a better way of putting it, um, the meter goes over to the evil side. Or, like in games like Mass Effect, you have what are perhaps two equally valid ways of attacking a problem. You have eight ways where you're much more of a peacemaker, much more, much more merciful, um, and that would be the paragon. And then you have other ways which are much more, let's get to the point, let's not futz around, let's get the job done which is much more of a renegade. They call it the renegade uh, choice. So basically, a lot of these games are offering systems, gameplay elements that are closely matched to the story um, as a way of improving interactivity in their games.
0: Oh yeah, and it's I definitely love to see the idea of experimentation in systems mechanically as a method of trying to emulate how real-life social interactions might work. Like, the scientific process associated with that doesn't always work out, I think, the way the developer intends. A good example would be the recently released Lady Killer in a Bind uh, from Christine Love, where she works off of the idea of you are trying to emulate another person and you will see conversation options that can only come up as being accessible once you've achieved X amount of social capital in the conversation. But... You have to delay in order to get to that point, and delaying too much might give away the fact that you're not the person you claim to be.
1: Oh, interesting. The idea of role-playing also, like it may be a misinterpretation of this particular game because I haven't played it, but the idea of role-playing is pretty big, I think, in Moral Choices. The idea that the player is fulfilling a certain kind of role and is supposed to act a certain kind of way. uh, A way perhaps different from what the player would normally do if that player were playing themselves in the game. I think it's no coincidence that a lot of role-playing games have pretty heavy morality systems. When I was trying to come up with a list where games explicitly say that they have a morality meter or a karma meter, most of those games were role-playing games. You know, Eastern or Western games, they were just basically role-playing games. So it's kind of interesting. I don't know if, if the game you're talking about could be qualified as a role-playing game, but this idea that the player is in a role and that there are certain moral obligations and moral limitations associated with that role is also kind of interesting, I think.
0: Yeah, i it's more of a visual novel, mechanically, but that's also the sort of place where morality is rife for interpretation and whatnot. I would note that the way that the game works is not 100% where I would want it to be. Like, the the game will not allow you to make choices until you wait out a certain point. And that makes sense from a I-want-to-be-cautious sort of thing. But, by the alternative comparison, I mean, nobody really does that necessarily. Like, it's more of a case of it should probably be filtered in a way where it allows you that option and then you just don't know unless you take passes and start getting an idea of how the conversation is going. But, I mean, we, we see that a lot in the confines of morality, people trying to put on those filters, put on those mechanical changes to make that work way, the way a real-world conversation would. Again, uh, another example would be The Walking Dead, where you have a time limit to answer a question, so you have to think fast under pressure and make the answer that is the most in line with what you would agree with, or a game like Oxenfree, where, again, you're under a time limit, but you can actively cut people off by making the choices or simply not make a choice at all, and the conversation will advance onward whether you've provided your input or not. So it's it's there's definitely, I think, a focus, particularly with independent developers, to try and refine that a bit, try and refine morality as a construct. And we still see it a lot in AAA titles, even if they're not necessarily putting in the effort to make a great deal of refinement to it. So I guess the core thesis question here would be, what are video games doing wrong when they're handling morality? Why? And are there ways where we could do this better or that we have seen this done very well that other developers could look at and start building from rather than what they are doing now.
1: There's a lot of different things that you could say um, irk the player. There's usually, usually you're going to say that a morality system has done it wrong when the player is going to kind of maybe throw the controller down and say, this is not what I wanted to do at all. Or wait a minute, I made all the right choices. Why is this happening? That's a very subjective standard, um, but I, I think there's enough unity among a lot of players such that you can say, yeah, this is probably a problem in the game. You're usually going to find it in, say, maybe a game like Mass Effect. Mass Effect, everybody played Mass Effect, right? And so I think a lot of people liked it, but there were definitely problems with it insofar as the fact that you have to pick a side in the game, so you got you that Paragon and uh, Renegade scales, right, early on. And you have to pick one of those pretty much early on, and you have to maximize it. Why? Because later down the game, there's going to be these certain choices that are only highlighted if you have enough points put into Paragon or Renegade. And you put points in sometimes, like in the first game, you can put points into this certain stat by actually allocating skill points or by making certain choices that the game says is Paragon or Renegade and uh, you, can, you can maximize it that way but the point is is that um, these choices are only highlighted you can only pick these choices later in the game if you already have the requisite uh, stat level which basically means that if you wanna say look I don't think that I should have to choose between being a Renegade or a Paragon later choices in the game Choices that you would probably be able to say, right? It doesn't seem like there should be anything forbidding me from saying the same thing a Paragon would say. Um, The game kind of slams the door at you and says, no, you've been too neutral this whole time. Neutrality is not a valid choice. And some players are going to say, no, wait a minute. I think neutrality is a valid choice because I don't think I should have to decide between either of these things. Um, A lot lot of games do tend to kind of poo-poo the neutrality factor.
0: No, I definitely I definitely do agree with that one 100%. And to be fair, I do feel like, to a certain extent, Bioware is kind of aware of that because they did make a certain amount of changes once you got to around Mass Effect 3 so that like Paragon and Renegade interactions could occupy the same basic meter and morality choices could be made basically dependent upon what you wanted to do at the time, though there were some choices that required you to be at top tier or beyond a certain level so that you could make them, it generally presented less options that required you to be High Paragon or High Renegade. So it wasn't that you were restricted so much as you were minimally restricted, but otherwise you could answer more or less as you deemed appropriate. And I feel like it would probably work better for that sort of a situation if you were just minimally restricted or something just wouldn't work if you tried to do it and you just didn't have enough conviction in your beliefs as a Renegade or as a Paragon or whatever. But I feel like that's a good example of a system that could use refinement but isn't necessarily bad. Because, again, it's, it's the worst systems are going to be thrown down full bore as, as you suggested but a lot of systems aren't necessarily terrible they can work and we can appreciate them but you can look at them and you can say clearly this is not right this is this does not work in the realms of human interaction but before we get into the full dif- like the full discussion here because there's a lot to unpack clearly the one thing i think we should do since we we are trying to define certain concepts so people can follow along we kind of have to define morality a little bit
1: oh but that's a that's a bag of worms isn't it
0: <laughs> it really is but i think i think we can boil it down to a really basic inclusive definition that isn't too controversial let's say I think in general morality as a concept can be defined as principles that distinguish between good and bad or right and wrong like as a, as a really reductive way of explaining how we view morality
1: yeah definitely I mean there's definitely a conception of morality as some kind of a code um, that it says do this thing and don't do that thing One formulation back in the Middle Ages is that morality is good is to be done and evil is to be avoided. Um, Few people, I think, will strongly disagree with that. You'll see some people say, no, 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 It's good is, you know, good is an undefined term, right? And we need to sit there and talk about that. And then there's like several hundreds of years of debates about how to define what good is, how to define what evil is. But I think you'll generally will come back to say, look, it is some kind of code. Like it's, it is some kind of list of prescriptions and proscriptions, things to do and things to not do. And uh, usually you see the, the, the big debate um, about what the content of the code is. Usually people will agree that there's their code in some kind of existence, um, though there are definitely people that will take issue with that definition. Which is a very fascinating discussion to be had, but probably um, a little bit too in the weeds for us today.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, the less that we can latch onto from that perspective probably is going to be the better for the, for the purposes of what we're trying to do here. The other point to probably make is to define how we classify morality within the world of gaming to a certain extent. Because gaming generally, if we want to be reductive, it generally handles gaming in two different ways and treats it two different ways. Mechanically speaking, gaming will generally handle morality either with an observable metric, such as a karma bar, where the decisions that you make move you along some kind of sliding scale of morality relative to those choices. So... You know, if you if you save all of the orphans from that orphanage, you, you get points into the good bar. If you pee on all of the orphans after they've already burned to death, you get points in the bad bar, as an example. You can see this in Bioware games. You can see this in Fallout 3. You can definitely see it in Fable. And you'll commonly see that utilized in games where you have factions, whether it be 2, 3, 4, or 5, or in games where polar moralities are a big part of the experience, such as good or evil or paragon or renegade. The second method boils down more to individual consequences to a relative choice. They don't necessarily tally up to any kind of a morality score, but they are an immediate, they show an immediate impact from the moment you make the choice onward. Uh, They can just impact your gameplay, such as lethal or non-lethal combat choices, or do I go left or do I go right? but there will be instances where there's some kind of a moral choice, and we can trace that back as far as Final Fantasy VI. Do I save Mog and get him as an available player character in my party, which is the moral thing to do, or do I save the asshole and get the item that he's holding and let Mog plummet to his death? That said, while these do potentially have some kind of moral impact, they don't necessarily impact an actual score, the game isn't keeping track of it, it just lets you make that choice and live with the actions that you have chosen without coming back to judge you on it later. And the other part of that is that games will generally look at morality, and they will either choose to view this in a way where the game itself makes a judgment on what you've done, or it doesn't. Thinking back again to Fallout 3, actions are determined as being karma-oriented, so if you do something good you get a positive karma score. If you do something bad, you get a negative karma score. But the game is wholly the arbiter of that. So you could kill somebody who you know is evil but hasn't done anything at that moment that's wrong and get positive karma just because you shot this guy the moment you walked into the room. Like, the game is kind of an Old Testament god in a lot of respects. Whereas something like a Deus Ex, people will individually have opinions, but the game has no opinion, and it's not going to try and... push you in a specific direction, it lets the NPCs do that if anybody does it at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a a, a lot of games that will try to pass judgment on you, and they'll either pass judgment through the story or through the gameplay. Uh, Going back to that Final Fantasy VI example, um, the game seems to be thinking that, hey, saving Moog is a moral choice because, hey, you get him in your party. Um, And he usually, at least a lot of players, in my experience, seem to think he's a pretty good character. You want to keep him around. Uh, He makes certain boss fights easier. Um, Whereas, if I recall correctly, I don't even remember what the item is. But I remember the item, while being valuable, is not that valuable. Um, And so the game is instead of kind of judging you through the story right morality seems to take place in a story you gotta be able to talk about characters you need to talk about actions you need to talk about whether these actions are good or bad in games you're kind of basically doing a carrot and stick approach where if you make a bad choice maybe the game is going to judge you by punishing you in the gameplay it seems to me like a lot of games will say we think our evil players are just power gamers and we're going to try to punish the Power Gamers. So you let Moog plummet to his death, yeah you get that item and now we've fooled you, Power Gamer. You could have gotten this really cool guy who has these dances that can make boss fights easier. What you are seeming to lay out here is that there's a lot of different ways that games will offer consequences to players. And they're not going to just limit themselves to a karma meter, but they will basically have consequences to the decisions and actions a player takes. Sometimes these decisions are based in the gameplay, and other times these, game, these decisions are based in the story, and they'll have story-related consequences. You kill a dude, and you don't get story from him anymore. right? That's part of the reason why like in a Bioware game, you often will say, look, if you, have to, if you can choose to kill a guy, it doesn't matter how evil he is, how depraved it is, killing him is going to cut off his storyline, and you'll never see anything from him again. Do you let that guy live? you will get more storyline and perhaps even chances for XP, um, affection gains with characters, maybe even something that is related to the larger plot. Those consequences tend to play into a a, a player's uh, decision metrics in a lot of different ways, I think. There's gameplay, story, consequences.
0: Agreed. I, I would definitely say that when a game is more directly involved in how it chooses to handle its morality like when you can see the creator's hands more appropriately putting the pieces into place there's definitely an impetus to follow along with what the game is trying to do or at least attempt to see what the game is doing in a game where morality is just a bar and it just seems like it's it's kind of influenced but it doesn't necessarily change a whole lot uh a game such as fable for example where like the narrative is not directly impacted by your morality, but you go through physical changes and what have you, there's definitely, I think, the impetus to experiment and goof off and see what happens. And I do feel like some games actively encourage that sort of power gaming because they will make it mechanically easier to be bad. But when you can see what the developer is trying to do, and when you see that there's a purpose toward following the game through in its morality systems and investing the time in building a character in a way that is morally consistent or in a way that has some kind of an impact to the narrative, I feel like gamers will get more invested in that even if the way that the game handles it isn't the best because they can see the investment that the developer has put in and they'll be willing to forgive them those missteps and follow along down the path.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be two kinds of players, at least in that sense. There's going to be players that are much more long-sighted, and then there's uh, excuse me, players that are much more short-sighted. And I don't mean to cast aspersions on this sort of player, but a lot of your short-sighted players are probably going to be power gamers, though power gamers can be quite long-sighted. Your power gamer is going to be, look i need to increase my stats now i need to kill this person now because i need their loot i need to beat this person up because i need the information from them right now um, whereas alongside a player is like wow this game's going to be a lot harder for me if i don't kill this person and take his stuff but maybe there'll be much more of a payoff down the road and actually you do kind of see the games at least in my mind follow that kind of metric, that kind of analysis, because you get a game like maybe Dishonored, right? Dishonored is like, if you kill people, the city is gonna have more zombies, and I guess they call them weepers, but there's gonna be more bleeding-eye zombies in the town, and there's gonna be no one around, and it's gonna be a lot darker, and if you don't kill anybody, well, it'll be a lot cleaner and nicer, and the sun will come out. The catch is like a lot of the mechanics in Dishonored make it so that you want to kill everything in sight. Like You can stop time, you can kill multiple people at once, uh, you can maybe put a trap on this guy's back and push him into another group, and then the trap explodes and kills all of them. A lot of the gameplay mechanics in that game push you to kill everything in sight. But the problem is is that the game later down the road tries to punish you for doing that. This is spoilers for Dishonored. Though, in fairness, if you're going to talk about morality, you're almost instantly going to be talking about spoilers because the end result tends to have an impact on what people say is good or bad. So with that in mind, um, at the end of Dishonored, there's a last level where you got to basically break into this castle and save the princess, right? And if you have been good up to that point, if you've been not killing people... Um, your boatman is like, man, it must have been really hard for you to get here. You've been having to stealth around, and you've probably been having to quick save, and all those things. It's just been really hard for you. I'm really proud of you, though. It's great. Go get him, Tiger. But if you've been killing everything in sight, he's like, boy, you're just a selfish jerk. How dare you? Well, I'll take you here, but I'm not going to make it easy for you. And then, if you get off the boat, he fires a gun into an air, in the air, and alerts the entire island. Um, so the game is basically punishing you at that point for power gaming. Now, it may be justified for punishing you given, given the world and given what your abilities are. But at the same time, um, this is kind of a standard thing in my mind uh, that game designers do is that they try to punish the more short-sighted player, the player that is taking advantage of the mechanics of the game um, at the expense of the story and they try to reward the players that want the story-based morality, the much more long-sighted morality, by making choices down the road uh, much more beneficial for uh, the quote-unquote good player, though maybe the player isn't so good.
0: Yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely... You can definitely see that there are there are lines that players and developers kind of have to work within, right? Going back to the concept of how games handle morality poorly in what ways they do so i mean most games kind of have this idea where there's two diametrically opposed polar opposite mentalities that you can deal with so you know either you're good or you're evil you're paragon or you're renegade whatever it however you want to phrase it there's a side that is generally affiliated as being the positive side and there is a side that is generally affiliated as being the negative side most people aren't that you know i don't know anybody who's purely good and i don't know anybody who's purely evil there might be people who seem to be more good or seem to be more bad but a lot of people kind of fluctuate or sit somewhere in the middle and it's it's the idea that a game is going to Limit your choices down to one of those two bars just seems a little odd.
1: Well, even further, I mean, sometimes you have to choose between two goods, right? Thinking back, I want to say one of the earliest games to employ some kind of a karma meter was Ultima 4.
0: Yeah, I was actually going to mention that a little later on. They had I can hold seven different that. moral <laughs> systems. Yeah, no, that's fine. They have seven different moral systems, but they're all good and they're all in conflict with one another, which isn't bad. It's, like, that's a little bit more what, like during the early days when experimentation was a thing. But, like, that, I don't really know that that had a significant difference one way or the other. Like, the game ultimately didn't seem to keep track of it too much.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely would uh, agree with you that your choices, at least in that part of the game, didn't seem to matter a huge amount, but this idea that I don't see too often in games, at least, in my opinion, it'd be interesting to see if you disagreed with me, Um, I think a much more interesting conversation would come out of it if you disagreed with me, I think. But in my mind, a much more um, elaborate morality is going to be one that forces you to choose between two things you think are good. Um, There were philosophers back in the 19th century who said, no, 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 you're morality is nothing so easy as do the good thing and avoid the bad thing no 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 your uh, morality is going to arise when you have to choose between two duties or two commands there's a greek play uh, called antigone um, and it's basically about um, these brothers uh, decide to betray a city and try to take it over Um, a law is passed that says anybody who tries to revolt against the city anybody who tries to destroy the city uh, will never be buried um, their bodies will just be left out to rot because we utterly hate those people because they've to destroy our civic order.
0: Which is great for sanitation.
1: Exactly, right? Um, but there's also another kind of moral command um, for the Greeks, at least, is that, look, if you have a family member who died, your duty is to bury them. You have to take care of them. They're your blood, right? So is basically, these brothers try to overthrow the city. Their uncle, no less, is in charge of the city. And he says, look, I'm going to obey the law these people are not going to be buried I don't care if they're my family but then um, the brother's sister uh, this guy's niece is like no I'm going to bury them because they're my blood they're my flesh and blood and I'm going to take care of them Um, and spoilers for a play that's been around for several thousands of years she basically ends up getting buried alive with them Um, it's a very sad story but there were philosophers in the 19th century who were like no 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 this is actually how morality really works morality forces you to choose between two good things right um suppose you have like a moral command to feed yourself um and so you have like five dollars and you're gonna go buy a sandwich and then you see um a poor person um who's like i haven't been able to eat forever um so you have like the moral command to feed yourself and then you also have the moral command to take care of those who are destitute among you now, that's a pretty easy decision to make. I mean, most people are going to be like, oh, I could probably go without eating for a day, right? Um, but yeah, I think it does at least serve as illustration that we do tend to kind of choose between not good and evil necessarily, but between good and good. Um, and I, 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 wish, I find myself wishing that more games would do that. Games certainly try to. And usually these things are the... The, the games where they're trying not to cast judgment on you. Um, and so they are generally perceived as morally gray, but they're usually choosing between two good things, right?
0: Yeah, and it's, I agree with that assessment, and I do feel like, I don't necessarily know if it needs to be two good things, though I, I do feel like the decision should be more complicated. even Even if you're going to cast the view that there is a quote-unquote good side and a quote-unquote evil side, it would probably be better if the good side isn't necessarily obviously good and the evil side isn't necessarily obviously evil. If there's any ability where the player can rationalize why they would want to do one or the other beyond seeing everything through to the end or getting a powerful item or whatever... I feel like there's there's definitely something more compelling to that. And I guess the problem is is that a lot of games don't do that. Like, maybe this is just me, but I've seen more than my fair share of games where not only is the choice between good or evil, but it's cartoonishly obviously good and cartoonishly obviously evil. And, like, they don't even try to make it a question it's it's apparent that evil is evil good is good and you're not really given any sort of leeway again fable is a perfect example if you do evil in fable you fucking grow horns there is there is no middle ground there at all like if you do bad you turn bad And it it, it is very clearly a moral statement of if you're good, light radiates from your butthole and the people sing your praises in the streets. If you do bad, you grow literal devil horns and people just talk shit about you constantly wherever you go. Like The the game is just being hyper-reductive about how it's handling that. And I mean, in Bioshock, in a lot of respects, it's worse. Do you know how many little sisters you have to kill in Bioshock for the game to decide that you have to get the bad ending?
1: I honestly can't remember. I want to say it was, like, at least two or more?
0: Two. At least two. I've seen some people say it's one, but if you do at least two, you are ultimate evil forever. Really? Like, I can understand, like, there's a certain amount of self-interest in killing a young girl, sure. That's awful. But two out of, like, the 20 or so that are in that game? That's... Statistically insignificant enough to determine whether or not somebody is the sort of monster that would declare world declare war on the entire Oversea world seemed a little silly
1: yeah, I mean certainly definitely the consequences of that decision don't seem commensurate with the actual decision itself um, but it's I, I would love to be a fly on the wall in the design room for that particular thing um, uh, in Bioshock because um, in real life, at least, if I kill a little girl, I'm going to prison probably for the rest of my life. Um, but it's just one girl, right? You know, or just one child. You know, um, that's that's like the ultimate decision. And as far as society seems to be concerned, um, I don't get to come back from that. And maybe that was what they were trying to do in Bioshock. Um, and the reason I say that the ending is not commensurate with the choice. Um, it seems to me that people who kill kids, at least the ones that I've seen um, in real life, um, they're usually racked with guilt or they have to justify that decision, but they don't become megalomaniacs who try to conquer the world either. Um, I don't think, and I apologize for invoking Godwin's law here, but I don't think Hitler ever killed a child, at least not personally, right? Um, ignoring, Ignoring the Holocaust.
0: You don't think he ever directly shot, you don't think he personally shot a kid.
1: Whereas for the purposes of a game, if we make a game where you're Hitler, the fact that he never personally killed a child would mean that he's good, right? Now, you know, we don't want to say, oh, Bioshock, how dare you have a morality system? We're probably more saying, look, Bioshock, you probably didn't work out this morality system of yours as well as you could have. Um, recognizing, that it's, recognizing that morality systems are a difficult thing, right? Just go to any courtroom and you can see that morality is not an easy thing. But at the same time, um, we would probably say, hey, you guys probably need to work on this.
0: Yeah, and it's, you can take it a step further within the confines of, of going to, you know, the Hitler conversation or really any sort of dictator in any capacity. And you can make the obvious point of, is it better or worse when you are willing to actually kill a person versus forcing others to do it. So, like, there's there's a certain inherent moral question of, is Hitler actively worse for ordering other people murder all of these children instead of doing it himself? And, like, that, again, is completely beyond the scope of this conversation, but it is something to think about just in your own time. I feel like, I feel like, though... In the case of Bioshock, going back to it, it's not as simple a question as, you know, is it, like, are you a monster for killing little children? Because, again, these aren't presented as just you're walking up and murdering a little girl. They are atom-infused, blue-faced monsters who are actively encouraging the deaths of others, gleefully stabbing corpses the whole bit. They are horribly dehumanized when you meet them. The game doesn't make a great effort of trying to justify to you that you should want to save them beyond making you say, morally, it's the right thing to do. And there are benefits for doing it, to be sure. In a lot of cases, if you think about it, it's actually more beneficial to save all of the little sisters than it is to murder any of them because you get a lot of immediate benefits for doing so, but you get a lot of much better long-term benefits for saving all of them and refusing to kill any of them. So it's it's the need of the immediate versus better benefits in a long-term capacity. Most gamers would probably choose not to kill the Little Sisters unless they just want to see that ending, or if they want power now, now, now.
1: Well, I think that's the crux of the big debate I think in a lot of morality systems in games, is that um, you would think that be- the choice between good and evil is the choice between what is advantageous and what is good, right? I'm probably going to pick evil because it actually benefits me, and I'm going to pick good because it benefits others, right? And so Bioshock seems to present that. Bioshock seems to be saying, look, here's this little girl. She's, you know, before the age of reason or the age of accountability, whatever you want to call it. Maybe she doesn't have a complete conception of her own actions, um she was raised that way and she doesn't know anything better but you can save her you can take her out of this life and that's good but guess what you don't get any more um uh any more abilities you don't get any more power from uh from killing her right so you can choose between benefits or being good The problem is that Bioshock undercuts that choice, as you've pointed out. Bioshock later says, oh, hey, you've been really good. That's nice. Now the little girls are going to leave you little presents, and you're going to get abilities from that. Chances are um, abilities that were greater than you ever could have gotten by killing the kids. And,
0: yeah. And not only that, it's a lot of games get really narrow-sighted about this sort of thing. I'm sure that we've all played at least one game where the game will reward you if you are exclusively good or exclusively evil. And we talked about that with Mass Effect, where if you are exclusively Paragon, you will get access to Paragon options. If you are exclusively Renegade, you will get access to Renegade options you wouldn't have had otherwise that can completely end a conversation, that can end a confrontation in your benefit. Bioshock 2 is another great example the morality judgments that are made against you are broken down to three key choices that you make through the game. And you are kind of directing your quote-unquote daughter – it's not actually your daughter, it's a long story, and I'm not getting into it right now – through the course of the game, and she will watch these three choices and make a moral determination about who she is as a person based on these answers. The problem is, you only get those three choices – as well as whether or not you kill or save little sisters, because that's a thing we needed to bring back, to determine her moral viewpoint of the world. And the problem is that all three of those choices get progressively harder as you go. The first choice is killing a defenseless woman, where there's no inherent benefit to doing so except pure revenge, but there is significant benefit for leaving her alive. The second option is just killing this dude who ratted you out, where there's no benefit to killing him and there's no benefit to leaving him alive. And the third choice is a choice where a guy kind of turns into an insane giant manatee monster or something. In his sane form, he begs whoever finds the tape, kill me. I don't want to turn into this. I don't want to be this. Please kill me. And then you get to the point where you can kill him. You can put him out of his misery, but if you do that, the game decides that that's an evil choice. Interesting. So, you, if you've already decided to spitefully kill one person, you just got the bad ending. And to be fair, I mean, you already spitefully killed one person, but boiling down morality to three choices made throughout the course of the game, and not to any of the hundreds of other splicers that you have to fucking murder. It's a little silly. Like they don't they there's no shade of gray there, really. It's my daughter survives and she's moral, my daughter survives and she's immoral, and the only thing that the little sister's option changes is whether or not the little sisters are hanging around at the end of the game. And I mean I think like the worst part is you get games where developers just Don't put in the, well, they'll put in the moral system and they'll allow you to be morally virtuous or morally bankrupt, but the ending comes down to one choice at the end that just decides how you ultimately get to that point. And I want to be clear, I don't mean that you should be locked out of a choice depending upon the morality score that you've been assigned by the game. If you decide at the end of the game that you want to have the good decision, that's viable. I just think that games should focus more on the fact that a person who's been an awful piece of shit and who makes that right moral choice is doing something redemptive, and it should be treated as such, not just, this one choice is the only fucking thing that matters. You know, there should be penalties, there should be considerations, And in a lot of cases, there will be games where you can just be an unrepentant piece of shit asshole, just do the worst things, it doesn't matter, and then you get to the end and you do the good guy thing and you get the good guy ending.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely very little room for redemption, at least as far as the player's own choices are concerned. You can't start off a game being evil and then suddenly at some point decide to be good. Um, I can't really come up with too many games that are like that. Usually if you've made evil choices early in the game, you've kind of kneecapped yourself, and you can't get the golden ending in a game. You have to optimize your choices from the very beginning. Um, or you get those games, like you were pointing out, where you have flashpoint choices. It's just these one or two choices that really actually matter, and all these other moral choices are just you you know, playing around with the game. Um, your choices don't actually matter. Your choices don't actually impact your gameplay or your story. Um, and so that's that's kind of interesting. Um, usually if you have a redemptive arc for a character, um, the, the character's bad past happens before the game. Very rarely do games have you play out the role of an evil person. Um, I suspect it's because they're afraid to. Um, justifiably so, because there's been a lot of discussion particularly in the 90s, about, oh my gosh, these games are training us to be murderers and training us to be amoral. Um, and I think game designers, as a result, have generally erred on the side of caution where um, they try to uh, incentivize good choices as much as possible, like in the first Bioshock game. Um, I think they tend to kind of look into the eye of, uh, of evil choices, and they do tend to blink. Um, I've been sitting here, as I was listening to you talking, I was trying to think of games where it's actually a good idea to be evil. I'm sure they're out there, um, but I can't think of them. Most of the games, it's a really bad idea to be evil. There's no benefit, even in the gameplay. Usually they even punish you uh, in your gameplay-related choices.
0: Right, I mean, like Mass Effect allows for that sort of thing, but you're not really evil in yeah. Mass Effect. in the you're, you're a
1: renegade. You're just a type A... I'm going to get the job done personality. It's not necessarily that you're evil. You're just a harsh person. Yeah, you're just a bro. Yeah, which is not bad. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, When Mass Effect 1 came out and I heard about this, I was like, that's kind of interesting. That offers an opportunity for a lot of different writing. Um, Whether they were successful or not, that's a different story. Um, And I definitely think Bioware should be given points for trying. But um, that's quite different. In spite of the fact that like, in Mass Effect 1 where... Um, you make these renegade choices and they're almost pretty clearly the evil sadistic jerk choices, like when you're on oh, what was that plant planet? I forget the name of the planet, but basically these plants have infested the colonists. By the way, spoilers. Um, And you have to either hit them with grenades to, uh, to disable or eliminate the spores in their brains, or you can just shoot them and kill them. And shooting them and killing them is the renegade choice, but in my mind, that also seems to be kind of an evil or at least an inhumane choice, whereas hitting them with the uh, anti spore grenades is a good choice.
0: Though I do want to note, uh, within the confines of that Pharos mission, they do give you a trophy for not killing anybody, because it's stupid fucking hard to do it.
1: Yeah. I did it once. I did, it once. Like, I did yes. it once. And then after that, um, I play on the PC, so I was like, look, I'm sorry, I'm cheating. I am restoring my grenades. Because the entire difficulty of that mission is you only have a very limited sort of grenade, so you have to hit multiple colonists just right to get them with one or two grenade uh, blasts. If you waste a grenade, you're done. You cannot save all the colonists.
0: Right. I feel like it should be more difficult to do that because doing the moral thing should probably be harder. But.
1: Yeah, yeah but I mean, doesn't that bring us back to that discussion of Dishonored, right? Being good, which basically means being a pacifist or being a stealth expert which is more difficult i mean stealth games at least in games that are um, focused on combat tend to be tends to be a bit more difficult the stealth path is is not easy um, whereas killing everything inside is usually easy dishonor tries to reward you for that by making the last level easier and giving you a much more optimistic ending whereas if you've been quote unquote evil killing everything in sight despite the fact that many of these people perhaps deserve to die uh you're kind of punished and you're either an evil person or uh the 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 young empress dies um i mean games games morality in games tries to reward you for being good and i don't know at least in a game like dishonored because dishonored tries to um, undermine your assumptions. Um, I, I want to say like a lot of the writers for Dishonored were the same writers from the Thief series and Thief definitely tries to undermine your assumptions about what morality is. Um, Dishonored tries to, at least in his story, try to, tries to undermine what you think is true and what you think is moral, but the gameplay and the ultimate story arc has a pretty black-and-white morality um, and I found myself wishing that it was a bit more complex. Um, yes, good should be harder being, or at least being perfectly good, right? Um, the, the, I want to say the term for it is super erogatory um, actions. These are actions above and beyond the call of duty, right? You don't get points for just like not killing people in real life, right? We don't sit there and pat you on the back. Boy, you didn't kill your neighbors today. Good job, buddy. We don't do that. Um, But at the same time, if you save somebody from a burning building, uh, you jump in front of a bus to help, you know, to prevent somebody from getting hit, Um, if you donate an organ, we think those things are praiseworthy. Um, So what we might think is good um, might be good in the sense of being above and beyond the Call of Duty. Games don't really push us to be above and beyond the Call of Duty, but they do try to make good as a much more difficult thing. Good, um, at least in this conception, is hard. Being evil is easy. So, as a result, we're going to punish you for taking the easy path and reward you for taking the good path.
0: I feel like that's part of why it's such a problem to get functionally interesting and complex morality systems. Like, if, if you as the developer are kind of stuck in this position where... You want good to be compelling because you want to be good or you want players to understand why it is good to be good. You can't just leave good to be the difficult choice to make unless you are incredibly gifted at writing a story that will leave a player at the end feeling like they have done wrong by making the bad choice. Like, even even in games where they do manage to make it apparent that the bad choice is the bad choice, in a lot of cases, they streamline it to a point where there's no real complexity between being good or being evil, or they'll reward you for doing good. I mean, a prime example would probably be Far Cry 3. There's really only one choice that you can make that determines whether you are good or evil. So there's no difficulty to it. Did I do a good thing or did I do a bad thing? The only thing that you have to weigh in is, do I slit my girlfriend's throat right at this moment? And if you don't do that, congratulations, that's the good ending. If you do do that, that's the bad ending, and you end up dying for it. So it's, even if if people want to have this complex morality, or they want to tell complex moral stories, it does kind of boil down a lot to very simplistic depictions of what is good and what is bad, and trying to make it readily apparent that good is awesome, and if you picked bad, you're a dumb a-hole.
1: Yeah, I mean, that choice in Far Cry 3, in my opinion at least, came out of nowhere, Um because... Uh, I, oh, I can't even remember the characters' names. Goodness gracious, it's been so long since I've played it. But the uh, the lady who lives on the island is like, no, you got to kill your girlfriend. you got to never look back. Um, when up to that point, the main character has been saying, oh, no, I'm just going to let all my friends leave, and I'm going to stay here. That still, at least at that point, seems like a pretty open choice to him. And that the sudden decision to suddenly kill his girlfriend... Um, came out of nowhere and felt really ham-fisted. I'm not quite sure why they picked that choice.
0: I can kind of, sort of, I can kind of, sort of understand where it came from. Uh, Citra, the lady who runs the whole thing, kind of makes it apparent that she lives through the aspects of control. So I think putting Jason, the protagonist, into that position is kind of a way of saying. I control you, I own you, and I need you to do this. Because you see, if you fail to make that choice, if you say, no, I'm not going to do this, like, Citra just erodes right in front of everyone. She's like, what? Nobody's ever turned me down before, and everything falls apart for her in rapid time. I do think, though, that it's improperly handled, but I can see what they were going for, even if it wasn't the best way of doing it. And I think, I think that's kind of a, an informative point for any game with a moral choice system, right? Moral choice systems are really fucking hard. Shades of Grey are difficult. They're difficult to write. They're difficult to put into a game in a way that's effective and makes sense and doesn't just come across as, you know, you don't want to say anything about this. And the more of them that you try to implement, the harder it becomes. Not to mention, in a video game, you also have to track all of that shit. You know, you have to have instances where there are multiple choices that could potentially influence your moral judgment with multiple factions or with multiple belief structures. And the more you have to track, the more you have to implement, the harder it becomes to incorporate decisions, uh, incorporate impacts that make sense and are logical. Especially if you're writing a game by committee where you don't just have one unified writer. And if you have one unified writer, that game's never going to get done.
1: That's interesting because... I often, part of the reason why I often want to be a fly on the wall in some of these design rooms is because um, I can't help but imagine there's like maybe some corporate guy in a suit. Like all the designers are sitting there, like maybe in t shirts or polo shirts and jeans. But this guy's got a suit and he's got this immaculate tie. And he says, Look, if you make it so you kill children, we're going to have like a thousand think pieces and people are going to boycott our game. We can't do that. Um, and. I often wonder at what point does the design team kind of kind of blink. Um, I'm wondering, like at least in Bioshock's case, do they think, boy, we're really putting ourselves out there by letting ourselves kill kids? Because like if you notice in Fallout up games, you can't kill kids. At least not in the base game. In Skyrim, you can't kill kids. And I, the my memory goes back to like the, maybe there's a law in Germany somewhere in Europe where they're like, look, if you kill children, we're gonna ban your game we think that's unacceptable. And there's maybe good reasons for doing it, for banning that. Um, I obviously think that that's probably something you want to back away from. Um, but as a result of these laws, a lot of game companies are like, no, we can't kill children. Um, and, you know, as a result, you kind of see them pulling back. Um, I mean, We were earlier talking about, like, you know, maybe being evil is not a very interesting thing. Um, but now we're kind of pushing up against this where... There's not really any incentive, like, there's not any real, actual evil. The evil that you do do is so ham-fisted and uninteresting that it's maybe not even evil so much as comical.
0: Well, I guess you gotta kill your girlfriend, bro. Yeah, and it's, it's, a lot of the major problem is also that I, I kind of feel like for players, maybe some of them just don't want that degree of emotional challenge. And, I mean, I don't even necessarily think that there are games that are really emotionally challenging that offer those kind of choices. There are some, but not that many that we could, you know, make a great example. But a lot of players are going to find black and white options comforting. Even if the black is really more of a, like, you know, like a, a, a mid-to-light gray and the, the white is like this brilliant bright white, it, it's still more comforting for them. To have that option between, you know, do do I do I save the sack of puppies or do I fucking set it on fire? Like, you can look at Spec Ops: The Line, which is horrifying in in the way that it treats things. And some pe people really either like that game or they really hate it. There there's no real middle ground for the morality of that because, uh, going back to previous guests, when we had mentioned that game to Zeke, his response had been well, they don't give you an option not to do it. And there's definitely that instance where some people are just not going to like the idea of a game that pushes them in a shitty negative direction or in a game that forces them to make hard choices. Another example, a lot of people bag on Fallout 3 for being terrible. This is not a new thing. H bomber guy made a fucking hour-long video about what a terrible piece of shit this is. But then he makes the argument in that video about how the decisions that you make that impact the hub in the original Fallout are really meaningful and important, and they they have an impact. But if you're the player, do you want to be in the position where you have to decide, do I leave the hub the way it is where... It's morally just, but it never grows or changes. Or do I support the bad guy who turns it into an illustrious, high-quality trading hub and actually advances it to a point that may very well help bring society back from the brink? A lot of players are going to say, no, I don't want to be in that position. I want something that's black and white. I want something that's easy to process and digest, because something like that is fucked. You know, I don't want to have to decide which is better, the thing that's better for the greater good of humanity, or the thing that's better from a moral perspective. Because it's, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to make the comparison with Stalin, but, you know, was Stalin a monster for killing, like, multiple millions of Russians? Or was the fact that he, (laughs) yes, I mean, yes, absolutely he was, but, He also dragged Russia kicking and screaming into the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Do you want to have to be the person that decides if that was right or wrong? I don't.
1: Yeah, I mean... With Stalin, I would say, look, there was a lot better ways to industrialize and modernize your country. That didn't result in the deaths of not only millions of Russians, but millions of Ukrainians. um, And, you know... and jews in poland and all that sort of thing i mean there definitely was a better way why because britain seems to have done a much better job of that and in, in britain's kind of legendary for oppressing its lower classes during the industrial revolution but i i do take your point um about this kind of this might be a really simplistic way of putting it but it, the gentrification versus i don't know what the opposite of gentrification is off the top of my head but the notification of a community right do i make it so that it is prosperous and has monetary value to the detriment of its poor citizens maybe the poor citizens have to move away or they have no soul or do i leave them the way they are and they have this nice little provincial life uh to borrow from beauty and the beast right like that is a decision that I would say we do live with, right? Um, In a lot of major cities in the United States, they're dealing with this gentrification problem where it's kicking minorities out of neighborhoods. Um, I think, um, and I suspect that this is the case in parts of Europe as well, to put it lightly. I mean, those are very complex issues. But that is an issue that I think that we do deal with today. Um, But I do also take your point that in Fallout 3, perhaps, that maybe... Maybe that's done in a little bit of a simplistic way, um, and going back to that, and I might be misinterpreting you, um, so I apologize if I am. But going back to that, I mean, there's certain games where you kind of sign up for a simplistic choice, you sign up for simple games, and there's other games where you sign up for really complex choices. Spec ops, the line, I, I would say, I, I would agree with Zeke that. There's not really any choices. There are others who say, "Oh no, no, no! The choice you do make choices, and it does impact your gameplay." Um, and I and I will attempt not to fight that particular uh, uh, that particular assertion. But the 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 climax of that game, um, where and again spoilers, you drop white phosphorus um, on civilians, which is a war crime. Um, that you can't get away from, um, and that. I, I personally would say is a, is a rather simplistic choice because you don't get to choose whether to be evil or not.
0: I do definitely agree with that assessment. Like there are, it, it doesn't do the best possible job of allowing your choices to matter. Like You're inevitably going to have to make a horrible choice, though I think that's also part of the point.
1: Yeah, you, you sign up for that. You sign up for that in the game that's baked in and if you're having a problem with that you kind of need to be to not go near that game
0: right? yeah but i also feel like if you're in that kind of a position the alternative is to simply not have an opinion to like to present concepts and not engage with them to not forcibly put the player into a position where they have to think about it very hard and sometimes games do this effectively where they allow the player to make their own determination. Again, Fallout being an example. But in a lot of cases, you'll see that happen, and the game will be accused of not having anything to say about the topic. And, I mean, I'm kind of guilty of that. I feel like Bioshock has nothing to say about objectivism. It just uses it as window dressing to give the main villain a personality and a reason for existing, but it doesn't really have an opinion on it, and it doesn't really care if you do. Yeah, And you're you're kind of in that position where maybe you're fucked either way unless, again, you are a really good writer. You either have to put in a lot of work towards making that moral ambiguity make sense or you're kind of put into this position where you have to be morally strict in one direction or another and say this is good and this is bad or you look like a dumbass who has nothing to say about a thing and just put it in there to look smart. Yeah, And it's, I guess, I guess that the key point here would probably be, we've spent, you know, close to an hour at this point talking about what is morality? Why are these things not working? What is bad? What, what falls apart in our perspective? Probably my big question to you would be, how could it be better? And I mean, I've seen good examples in games. I've seen examples that I personally think show a definitive possibility for us to grow the idea of moralistic play in games. I mean, just as an example, like the obvious example is probably Dragon Age.
1: Interesting. Tell me more.
0: So, Dragon Age doesn't have an opinion on your morality. Or more accurately, I should say... It doesn't have one specific meter that tracks its opinion of your morality. Your endings that you get in that game are wholly independent of your moral choices. Uh, Taking the first game as an example, and again, spoilers, you get to the point where the option is, look, the bad guy has to die. That's just going to be the way it goes. Uh, But whoever kills the bad guy is going to die. Your choices are, one you choose to kill the dragon and you die 2 you have your fr- your one friend i don't remember his fucking name alistair. to save my life alistair. alistair there we go you you choose to have alistair sacrifice his life and kill the dragon or 3 you fuck Morrigan, nobody dies and she takes your weird demon kid off with her that came from killing that dragon, and that sets up the plot for Dragon Age Inquisition. But those choices are wholly outside of the morality aspect of things. You can weigh in what you think about the morality of letting Morgan have this demon kid and do whatever with it, but outside of that, like there's no moral ground that's covered. Instead... Dragon Age gives you options that it isn't necessarily very invested in. Like, the game is not going to crap on you for the the choice that you've made. And while there might be impacts from it, by and large, like, the game doesn't make it a big deal, per se. But your allies will say, I don't like this, or I do like this. And you can make significant choices that will improve your standing with them or worsen your standing with them depending upon how you've chosen. Dragon Age Inquisition actually makes this an even bigger deal because if you make a decision with far-reaching consequences, every person in your party, not just the ones who were immediately with you at that moment, will have a direct opinion of what you've done. So you make choices with the idea in mind that it could very well Damage your relationship with three, four people at one time, and you have to make the choices based on what you think is right, or based on who you want to like you more. And I feel like, I feel like that's an interesting way of dealing with morality, because in a lot of cases, our morality is kind of reflected through the people that we deal with, you know? Like, you you don't just make decisions in a vacuum. You're wondering, well, what would this person think of me if I did this? What would this person think of me if I did that? And it's interesting to see a game kind of take that to a mechanical perspective and say, well, do you care what these people think, or are you going to do what you think is right? Or are you going to do what this person thinks is right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely... Dragon Age seems to be approaching morality at least in so far as it does approach morality, um, it uses morality as reputation. Like, your reputation is somehow reflected in your morality, though the game doesn't necessarily buy into that whole stock. Um, There are issues. Like, I'm always suspicious of morality as reputation. Um, There's an old story that Plato told. Um, Basically, he and his students were sitting around, and this is in Plato's Republic, which at some point, somebody's going to like show it to you. Like, i got Plato's Republic. Look how cool I am. I'm not, I've i never been a huge fan of Plato's Republic, but it does have this one story where it says, like, suppose you get this ring, and it frees you from the consequences of your bad decisions. Um, you, uh, you can sleep with some other guy's wife. You can kill people. You can do all of these things, but nobody's going to know that you did it. Um, because in this particular example, the ring made you invisible, right? Um, so you can see shades of Tolkien in here. Um, the ring frees you from your consequences. The ring frees you from people thinking that you're an evil person. So, Plato asks, do you still have incentive to be quote-unquote good? Nobody's going to hate you if you're evil. You can be just as evil as you want, and nobody's going to blame you. And in fact, they may even say that you're an awesome person. Um, later in the book, they take it even further. Let's like try to make it so that good people are blamed, that good people are hated in this society. What's your incentive for being good? I suspect most people are going to try to offer this kind of argument that, well, being good is choice-worthy for its own sake. Now, suppose you grant me that. There's a lot of discussion to be had on that one. I tend to, um, I tended to approach my playthroughs in Dragon Age as, yes, I'm being moral, and those are my choices, but yes, I'm also managing my reputation. Um, Like, one of the big memes that came out of Dragon Age 1 was, Sten disapproves negative 10, because he was always disapproving your decisions, and the game was trying to force you uh, to make difficult choices as a result. You know, kill this person, solve this problem real quick. Um, But I found myself being able to fool, or at least convince Sten, in my mind at least I was convincing him, that yes, I saved these people, and yes, I did more work for myself, but in the long run, um, these moral choices actually benefit me because I haven't killed anybody. These people are now are, are going to assist me in fighting the big dragon. Um, so I would call back to boy, it'd be really interesting interesting to be a fly on the wall in the in the Bioshock writers room to see how they wanted to approach it because they're definitely they're definitely trying to emulate George R R Martin. Um, because, you know, the books were out before the show was, and they definitely had read the show, or read the books, excuse me. Um, but I also um, wonder if they had been playing a lot of the old Black Isle games and uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2, the Obsidian game, because those focused on individual reputation systems. Um, and this idea that not only are you trying to choose what you think is good, but you're also have to, having to deal with people saying that these good things you're doing are actually bad. And they're going to push you um, away from what your choices would normally be. Sten is a powerhouse, perhaps. He's also a lot of fun to talk to. Um, I think we could even go and ask Zeke and he would probably say that Sten is one of his favorite characters. It'd be interesting if he'd disagree. Um, There's a lot of value in these uh, interpersonal relations. Um, What... Might be a morality system, maybe more of an interpersonal relations simulator. How do you manage to work for the greater good when a lot of these mechanics are trying to push you away from the greater good?
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely a fair point. And I mean, I guess a slightly different way of looking at it is, I feel like there has to be more testing there. If we want to get it to a point where the mechanics work in a way where the greater good and the choices you have to make to get there collude. Because, again, what if one of your favorite characters is a douchefuck?
1: Which definitely is an appeal, I think, for the Bioware writers in Dragon Age. I think they do enjoy those characters. And not, and not that it's wrong for them to enjoy those characters. Please don't get me wrong.
0: Oh, no, absolutely not. But not even just there. You know, what was it? Knights of the Old Republic had, I don't remember the name, HK-47? HK-47.
1: Oh yeah, he's probably one of the most beloved characters in that series. And he's a douchebag. Yes. I mean, as illustration, there's this point where he's basically pretending to be a translator, and you go up and talk to a Jawa, and the Jawa's like, man, some of our friends have been kidnapped by sand people, and it's really terrible. And HK-47 is like, well, I'll tell you exactly what they're saying, but I'm pretty sure they've said several death threats to you. And you're like, HK, you made that up, didn't you? He's like, well, maybe I'm doing some creative translation. And players are supposed to think that this is awesome. HK-47 is clearly an immoral droid, or at least an amoral droid. But that's funny, right?
0: Oh, yeah. And it's, it's, there's, there's a character in Fallout 4 who is a super mutant. I don't remember his name. But the whole idea is that he is quasi-enlightened because this actor has talked to him about the, the milk of humanity. And because the super mutants from the first two fallouts and the super mutants from the second two fallouts are completely different from one another, this particular super mutant is dumb as fuck, and he thinks the milk of humanity is a literal thing that he can drink that will make him as resilient as human beings are in the post-apocalyptic wastes. So he decides he's going to follow your character around to, you know, get access to this in whatever capacity. And he hates any moral choice that you might make. Any moral choice. He hates it if you leave him in a settlement with any people in it. Uh, He hates any decisions that are good. But he's also ridiculously hilarious and a complete piece of shit. And, like, I don't particularly use that character but I can completely see why other people would because he's a funny fucking guy. Comparatively, Preston Garvey is a very moral person and everybody hates the shit out of that guy. Of course, it's because he's constantly telling you about settlements that need to be fixed up, but still, the point is is that he's an annoying dirtbag and everybody fucking hates him, but he's probably one of the most moral people in the game. And it's you're kind of presenting good as being jerks. And in, in that respect... I kind of wonder if maybe the best choice isn't to, instead of just going for good or evil, to go for things that aren't necessarily good or evil. And that kind of brings me to another good example, I think, of how morality can be handled in a game in uh, Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne. Now, to be fair, I like most of the ways that the Shin Megami Tensei franchise handles morality. Because, like, the first two games have good, neutral, and chaotic endings. Where it's, like, law, chaos, and neutrality. And the game makes a point, even within the limited amount of text that it has, where it kind of makes it so that you can make all three of those choices, and it doesn't really hate you for doing it. Like, God's kind of a dick in that franchise... But Lucifer's kind of a chill bro. Like, he, he's clearly self-interested, and he's clearly a bit amoral, but he's very chill about the decisions that he makes, and he's not a horrible bastard about whatever you choose to do. Nocturne kind of changes that a little bit. God and Lucifer both are horrible shitheads, but they give you a lot of different options that aren't necessarily just good or evil. Uh, so you have choices that are, you know, a moral path where only the strong survive. And it, it works off of the morality that you have to be strong, you have to be powerful in order to make progress in this world. Or the the possibility of unification of the self where everybody works together toward a common goal. Mankind becomes kind of a collective consciousness that works as a machine towards advancing the greater good of society. And it's... The the game doesn't necessarily like or dislike these points, but it just explains how they work, and it's like, so what do you think? You know, is this something you can empathize with? And if you don't, that's fine. You can tell the person who's pitching this idea to you to fuck off. But if you do, you can follow that person forward and help make their ideal reality... real reality. And it's not necessarily making these moral choices in line with what you would expect. It's not just good or evil. It's, here's a fundamental way to change things that some of you might actually already believe, I think gives players more options than just saying, you know, do you want to set a bag of puppies on fire, or do you want to save the bag of puppies?
1: Interesting. So, there's a couple of questions I have. First off, with regards to... And I haven't played this this particular game, um, so I might be asking a completely ignorant question. But with regards to this collective consciousness option, does the game ever signpost and say hey, some people might not like being cogs in a machine? Or does it just simply present the choices clearly? This is a choice you have. We're not going to say that it's good or bad.
0: Actually, it doesn't really do either. How it chooses to present this to you as the player is more of a case of... I mean, to be fair, in the world of Nocturne, everyone's dead. There's only five humans left in the game. At the time that it starts, maybe five or six... And the way that it works is only a human is capable of creating a reason. That is, a way in which you can reform the world into a proper existence. So each of these humans is allying with some type of demonic power in order to get the amount of energy required to make their reason reality. And then you kind of have to ascend this giant tower uh, and present your reason to this god uh, Kagetsuchi who will make that reason reality. But the world is dead. At the beginning of the game, the world just kind of like gets blown up into this inverted sphere where the only thing that is left is a couple of humans who survived and demonkind. Your character is half human, half demon, the Demi-Fiend. So you're not necessarily capable of formulating your own reason. So you kind of are at the whims of all of the people who want to come up with their own idea. Though, if you, if you go with the true neutrality route and you decide, I just want to put the world back the way it was, you can subvert all of that. So because there are no humans left, the, whoever reforms the world is going to kind of bring people back. It doesn't really say what happened to them. Like, there's a lot of spirits just kind of floating around. But I, I guess you could consider it similar to, like, the whole Evangelion thing, where they're all just kind of LCL or whatever the fuck. They're not there, but they're just kind of kicking around like waiting, I guess. And however you remake the world, humanity will be forced into the yoke of doing what you have decided whether they want to or not.
1: Interesting. So
0: in the case of the we're all gears in the great machine mentality, everyone would kind of probably be overwritten and would just be forced into like this whole Locutus of Borg mentality where y- you just do. You don't have a choice, you just do.
1: Yeah. And it's
0: it's, and it's it's presented as it's presented as a reason that wants to advance humanity for the greater good, where instead of having all of these people constantly bickering and bitch fighting back and forth about shit and never getting anything done, you trade your individuality for progress. And it's not necessarily presented as good, but it's presented as listen, humanity sucks sometimes. Maybe you don't we want to strip all of that away and just try to make progress? And in a certain light, even if you understand that morally it's wrong to rob people of their decision-making capability, doesn't it kind of suck sometimes, you know, that we can't make progress as a society? And they want to hook you with that mentality and drag you in so that you might be willing to consider that path a viable path.
1: Yeah, that's, that's interesting because it brings me to my second question, and maybe there's a third beyond it. I wonder how that compares to the endings of some of the Deus Ex games, particularly the first game and the game which shall not be named um, Invisible War, which I just named. The heavens have now fallen into the sea and hell is frozen over. I'm sorry, world. I had to do it. But, or maybe uh,
0: the world could just get over the fact and accept that Invisible War was a perfectly fine game.
1: Well, that is discussion for another time, which I also think would be an interesting discussion. But... Um, the uh, the the choices at the end of the Deus Ex games, um, and I'm I apologize to everyone for recapping them, um, are basically asking you to kind of play um, uh, a freshman level political science course, and I don't mean that as um, a knock against the Deus Ex games. Actually, it's quite positive, um, where they say, look, in the first game you can like either destroy all the communications in the world and force humanity into what would be uh, a new dark age an age of city states uh, democracy on a scale that is comprehensible to individual citizens um, or you can let the world go on as it kind of is the world right now which seems to be ruled by corporate interests um, international banks um, which are secretly controlled by the illuminati or you can let all the communication systems uh, be run by this um ai intelligence Um, which will basically do all the decision-making for humans. Um, The game doesn't really cast judgment on you for picking one of these, but the characters within the game will say, look, that's a shitty decision because X, or that's a great decision because Y, right? Um, So, like, if you um, are talking to the leader of the Illuminati about why you should let the world go back to being ruled by the Illuminati. He says, look, there's such a thing as a compassionate conspiracy. We will walk alongside humanity and let them grow organically, but we're going to direct them into ways that ultimately benefits humanity. Um, Whereas uh, the person advocating for the dark age is going to say, look, humanity is a lot better when it can comprehend what it's doing. Individual humans need to be able to engage in decision making decision making that they can comprehend it's a lot better if it's not being controlled by international organizations let communities be communities um and then you know you got the obvious AI thing where it's like look human making decision um is always sub- will always succumb to vices, um and ambition um and AI should rule because it doesn't have ambition it just has a set uh, moral compass that it follows um so I'm wondering if if um, the Shin Megami uh, Tensei game um, is similar to that in that you will have characters within the game saying this is a good decision or this is a bad decision, but the game itself at least, but judging by the ending cinematics, doesn't sit there and tell you that you're doing a good thing or a bad thing. All the choices are equally valid as far as the game's writers are concerned, but the characters do not agree with
0: The game actually has an interesting relationship with how it chooses to handle that. Um, This is probably the first of the the core SMT titles, I should say, where you can kind of sort of feel that maybe there's some judgment leaking in. In 1 and 2, there is really no judgment, and the game doesn't really seem to have an opinion one way or the other, and it will present all of the choices as valid. In the third game... The people who are proselytizing to you that their particular point of view is the correct one are mostly all assholes oh, so, so making
1: what might be a good decision into a very difficult one because the speaker is a terrible person
0: yes and, and in the beginning, like there's six choices that you can make three of those choices well two of those choices are made entirely by your own hand with nobody's input there's the demonic ending where you say nuts to every possible decision, and you defeat Kagetsuchi in battle, and you just leave the world the way it is, at which point Satan kind of shows up and he's like, fuck, good job breaking it, hero, and then he bails out. Um, so you just leave the world as this reversed, circled world where the demons live. The second choice is true neutrality, where you don't take anybody's opinion into account, but you ultimately decide through interactions with others, you know what? I would really rather that we just had everything go back the way it was supposed to. And nobody, nobody likes this decision, except for your teacher, who saved your life in the first place, and the only reason she seems to particularly like it is because she boned everything up. Even when you get to the end, Kagetsuchi comments, what, you want to put the world back the way that it was? What the fuck is wrong with you? And then tries to kick your ass. The other four choices that you make, there are different proponents, but none of the people who are arguing for these decisions are great. The, the most positive of the endings insofar as how the people presenting it to you come across is the true demonic ending, which is you go through this group of many, many unified dungeons called the Kalpas, and once you get to a certain point, these, like there's these two groups of characters, uh, both of which are attended to by a young woman in funeral garb. One is an old man in a wheelchair, the other is a young boy. And they've both kind of, sort of, been encouraging you to do whatever, but maybe consider going into the kalpas. with the old man predominantly being the shepherd in this case. When you get to the very bottom, they explain to you, hey, listen, uh, just so you know... Um, if you go to the bottom of this, uh, we would like it if you would come with us and do what we want, and if you come to the bottom of the Kalpas, we're going to take that as an implicit sign of consent, which is the game telling you if you do this, you're going through this ending path. If you go all the way to the bottom, you you literally fight Lucifer. Lucifer is revealed to be both the young boy and the old man, and he's like, hey, thanks for coming all the way to the bottom here, um you have effectively decided that you want to help me kick God's ass. And he's pretty compelling when he explains why he wants you to do this shit, but it's fucking Lucifer. And he wants you to kick God's ass. So it's kind of... Uh... You know, so you kind of know inherently that maybe that wasn't the best choice, but he's the most compelling out of the people you talk to. Of the other three people who are presenting their ideas, um, one of them is the guy who caused the world to end in the first place. And... He's an egotist who thinks that unifying the world together into a machine is great. He presents himself as an egotist who thinks he's awesome and that nobody can outthink him. And he does you dirty by killing your teacher, who, you know, you've been trying to help out through the whole game, presumably. One of them is your male best friend who kind of makes it apparent that he suffers from self-esteem issues because nobody ever liked him as much as you. And he rationalizes that he would want a universe where everybody's own individual world is self-contained. You don't have to interact with anybody else, and you can craft the world the way that you want it to be, but it's just your own little world. And you don't have to deal with other people, you don't have to deal with their bullshit, it's just solitude, and you can make the world in your own vision. And he does you dirty by killing the guy that's been helping you navigate this world through the whole experience up to that point. Finally, there's a female that you're, you're both friends with who is, you know, deathly scared of being in this situation and just being useless and worthless, and eventually decides that the only things that are worthwhile are, you know, strength, beauty, things like that, and, like, kind of has an objectivist viewpoint where only power, only strength in some capacity should be rewarded. And she ultimately does you dirty by killing the leader of the mannequins who are this like group of mud people. And I, I, I mean that literally. Like they they are the universe trying to recreate humans by forming them out of mud. So they don't they don't have the capability of traditional humans and they shake a lot. They shake they sh- a lot. They shake a lot. Like they, they, they have like permanent epilepsy. It's it's very weird. But the one character uh, who, Futomimi, who is the leader of the mannequins, is as close to human as you're going to get, and he might have been able to have a proper reason and advance the mannequins' cause of peace and harmony, but she kills him. So they all do something awful, and they all basically just kind of act like, you should be grateful that I'm cluing you into this, this should be a thing you want to do. The message might be good, But the people presenting it could stand to work on their social skills, and maybe not necessarily kill your friends. So it's, I don't think the game is necessarily passing judgment, because the demons all break into factions, and they'll all talk about, yeah, um, Lady Chiaki is great, and she's awesome, or boo, Lady Chiaki, she sucks, fuck her. And they'll all, you know, group into their own different factions, but the game doesn't necessarily give you a great messenger. Later games at least have the messenger kind of present as being on your side and wanting to convince you. Here they kind of act like they want you to join up, but they're also kind of egotistical about it. And I'm, I think that might be on purpose. And it's interesting, but it's 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 hard to know if the game wants you to think that these are viable 100% or if it wants you to realize that maybe these people are sound and fury, you know?
1: It's, it's interesting because I, in a lot of discussions about morality in in our lives um, there's usually this conception of a moral choice isn't really a moral choice unless there's some difficulty involved in making it. Um, and we've discussed in the past about how game designers seem to try to make a moral choice difficult by virtue of making the gameplay difficult. Um, But here we're having this idea of perhaps purely philosophical uh, problems, right? Where all of these choices that we're making have something in favor of them. An argument, and a pretty decent argument, can be made in favor of all the choices. Um, And through the characters in the game, the game is also trying to argue against these choices, um, or at least with respect to its story layer, um, where the story is saying, hey, uh, here's why this is bad, and I'm the character who's going to tell you about that's bad, and if you do this, you're a bad person. And then there's another character that says, well, if you do this thing, you're good, and you're a good person, and you should feel good for being a good person. Um, So it is kind of interesting uh, that... A few of the games we've talked about um, are trying to encourage moral deliberation. Like It's not an ending that you just flip a coin on. It's not just something you do. um, But it's definitely something that they want you to ponder. They want you to measure it within yourself before you um, make the leap. Very rarely um, in these sorts of games do I find... Uh, players saying, "Oh no, man! This choice is easy." Now, of course, you'll get some smack talk down the road. It'd be like, you know, you plebs chose the Illuminati, but you didn't choose the Master Race, Dark City, or uh, Dark Age, right? In Deus Ex. Um, but I think, on the whole, most players are going to say, "No, this was this was actually difficult." Um, to the point where I'm actually inclined to play through the game again, or at least from an earlier save. And see what the other endings do. What comes from these other endings? Um, because I want to see, I want to be able to use this game as maybe a laboratory for thinking, to try out things that I wouldn't be able to do in real life, things that I might be disinclined to do in real life. Um, and I, I definitely think that games offer a. There's a lot to say for games in as uh, with respect to moral training. Um, setting aside for the moment of the difficult, uh, the the the, the questions of violence in games, but at least let me say that maybe games can offer a lot of opportunities for good human beings to engage in moral deliberation, um, the kind of moral deliberation that they will be inclined to take back into their own lives because I see a lot in this game that you're talking to me about that a lot of uh, people are going to be introduced to concepts they may haven't they haven't thought through before.
0: yeah, and I think I think the one thing that kind of heartens me as far as moral choice goes is in how people kind of respond to these systems. Like, to a certain extent, you can argue that responses have been bad for these sorts of things to certain degrees. Like, Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 have greatly eclipsed Fallout 1 and 2 uh, in terms of overall sales, despite the fact that Fallout 1 and 2 are much more complex narratively. And while SMT Nocturne is generally held up as a watershed moment, like a high watermark as far as gaming in general is concerned, uh, narrative development, moral choice are concerned in the West, in Japan, they rejected it outright because it didn't, it didn't meet the standard of the SMT franchise of order, law, of, of law and order. Chaos neutral, which is why SMT4 and SMT4 Apocalypse and Strange Journey all went back to kind of doing that, though Apocalypse at least offers true neutrality versus following the whims of the character Dagda. So you've got some variation. But Nocturne, they didn't like that one so much, so much so that a version called Maniacs was released afterward that incorporated the Satan ending, the the Chaos ending, Uh, that had been left out. But I think the thing that's probably most heartening to me is, and again, I've said this before on other podcasts, and it hasn't changed. I haven't played the game. But Undertale is held up by many as being a great example of how a game can play with the concepts of morality by offering you simplified and unsimplified methods by which you can be a genocidal piece of shit or be morally worthwhile, by rewarding you with additional narrative, and rewarding you with better or worse narrative choices.
1: Yeah, that's the big thing right there.
0: Yeah, it? and and yeah. it's harder to be good in that game. Killing enemies is easy, and the game makes it really unchallenging to murder everything and get stronger, and you know, eventually just ruin the shit out of the whole game. But The end result of that is literally everything is dead and you just destroyed all of these otherwise reasonable people because they didn't like you. Yeah. Whereas the moral ending, you find common ground with these people and you patch your shit up with them and it's harder because it's a bullet hell shooter at that point, but the ending is more satisfying because you right all of the wrongs. Yeah. And... Even if I haven't played the game, and even if I don't necessarily you know, think the art style is for me, I do love the fact that a game like that, that is that gray, where there's that many different things that can happen, and there's a true good and a true bad, but there's so much variance because there's so many different choices you could make in that game, that's interesting. And I like the fact that we, we kind of have latched on to a game like that, if only because... I feel like something like that could drive forward the idea of morality in games in a way something like a Nocturne or a Dragon Age dependent upon your viewpoints hasn't really been able to do.
1: Yeah, I mean there's and I hopefully I remember this later but there's, I think Undertale raises issues of authenticity in your moral choices. Um, so, I mean and this is spoilers for Undertale but the game's been out for at least a year now. There's a statute of limitations on spoilers, in my opinion. Um, And I think the statute is run. Uh, Sorry in advance, nonetheless. But um, if you choose, you you have those three choices. You can either do the neutral choice, where you maybe kill some people, um, or maybe don't do some side quests. You have the pacifist uh, choice, where you don't kill anybody ever. um, And you uh, also do some side quests. And then you have the genocide ending, Um, where you kill everything in sight. You kill everything you can. Um, I think there's only one character you can't kill who's like a shopkeeper. Um, What is interesting is that, um, at least personally, I found the genocide ending to be incredibly difficult. Um, Bullet Hill games... I hate Bullet Hill games, um, but I was willing to go through it for the purposes of Undertale, um, and I suffered through it for the pacifist run. Um and it was difficult, don't get me wrong, and it earned, the difficulty uh, was justified in the story payoffs, in my opinion. The Genocide run, um, I would have to say the uh, Sans fight um, midway through the game is probably the most difficult fight I've ever played in video games. Um, I still haven't beaten it. Maybe someday I will. I don't think so. Um, I watched somebody else play it um, on Twitch, and this lady, she spent Eight, twelve 12 hours just doing that fight over and over and over again. Like, it was a Saturday. Um, I watched it in the morning. I was like, oh, that Sands fight, you're going to have problems. And I came, like, I went out to go groceries and to go eat. Um, and I came back fully expecting that that stream had ended. No, she was still going at it. Um, it is uh, one of those legendary difficult fights. At least that year, it was one of the most difficult fights that, uh, that came out. Um, And so I sometimes wonder if maybe Undertale plays into this idea that evil should be difficult. Um, The problem is that Undertale also has this thing where um, it plays into some of those old JRPG ideas that the story is your reward for getting through the gameplay. The gameplay was difficult. Here's your reward. You get more story. You get this nice cinematic scene. Um, Undertale kind of plays with that too. Um, You get the reward at the end of the game, of seeing the resolution of all the characters' uh, plot plotlines. Um, you do the golden pacifist ending, and you get to see some incredible resolution of plot lines And you get to see um, a pretty big revelation of what's been going on among the monsters here in the underground. Um, you know, why are they here? Why are they the way they are? The catch is, is you don't really get much explanation about, and I'm going off of my memory here, and I might be completely wrong. You don't get much explanation about um, what happens to the children. Why are these children falling down? Um, what happened to uh, the the child of the king and queen of the of the monster kingdom? Like what happened to him? Where is he gone? Uh, what's the nature of this flower that seems really evil? Spoilers. Um, like what is going on? And you don't really find out much unless you play through the evil side. Undertale, I would say, more than many other games, again in my opinion, has more incentive to be evil, to be utterly depraved, than any other game I can think of. Because you get rewarded with more story, you find out what's really going on. Um, And I always go back and forth on whether that's a good thing. Um, Because on the one hand, the game kind of punishes you for being evil. Um, it makes it kind of permanently saves the game where any time you try to restart the game and do a pacifist run, the game basically has an ending where all the characters get killed regardless. Um, the game really seems to punish you for having that bad ending and it screws with your save files forever after. Um, but at the same time, you're rewarded with some good story and you can understand the world and a lot better. So if you're like a lore nerd um, that I tend to be, perhaps not as good as our friend Zeke um, but nonetheless that playthrough has a lot of an appeal and it seems like the gameplay is actually rewarding an evil an uh, evil playthrough um, so that's kind of interesting Like, I was struggling to come up with games where evil is incentivized and it seems like more than any other game Undertale is it um, which raises questions of authenticity right Um, In real life, when we try to be moral, um, we often kind of have ulterior motives. Going back to that um, morality versus reputation thing uh, that Plato raised, right? Um, Sometimes we do good things just because people are going to see and notice us, right? Um, Like, you know, I'm going to donate millions of dollars to this poor place. Look at me, guys. I'm so awesome for doing that. Um, A lot of thinkers will later call this inauthentic. Um, you know let's say look you know you don't get any real rewards for doing that you've already had your reward you know, you, you know your reward is not going to be in heaven you, know, you jerk um, you're already getting your reward um, so we kind of call this inauthentic whereas the true moral action is doing good for its own sake um, doing good uh, to my own detriment doing good and no one noticing um, and that doesn't really show up in games too much. Um, Undertale seems to be offering this idea that, yeah, you're going to be good, but you're not getting a lot of benefits. Um, but still, our whole morality, perhaps under my conception, and it'd be interesting to pick the brain of the creator of Undertale, um, but it seems like your choice to being good or evil is not necessarily for its own sake, but, for the further story gains you give, now there's a lot of pushback you can give on my argument here, um, and I, and I recognize that, and I think the pushback will probably be more interesting um, than my argument but I, this idea that um, sometimes games will look and go beyond merely just whether you 're good at being good or not, and look at your reasons for being good or evil you know, why why on earth are you doing this um there's a one of my favorite games is Nineteen Republic 2, um, and it's because of this moment um, where you go on the planet of Narshada, which is a legendary uh, criminal haven. You're going through, and a bunch of refugees have come to Narshada, and there's these poor people, and they're begging you for money. This guy's like, sir, can I have 10 credits? Now, of course, this seems like a pretty simple, binary, good or evil choice. You give good, you know, good would be giving the money to this guy, and you'll get some light side points, and your light side powers will be uh, enhanced, or you can say no, and you'll get some dark side points, and uh, you know your choices, you know your your dark side powers will be enhanced as a result of that. But the game doesn't really do that. The minute you do that, the minute you choose to give or not to give, uh, your mentor, your Jedi mentor, will say, "Why on earth did you do that?" Regardless of whether you did or didn't. Um, suppose you did give um, money to this poor person she said you know your mentor will say look you have lessened that person's life by doing that and you're like what on earth that's dumb i'm just helping people you got to do good wherever And she's like no 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 because this guy hasn't earned it himself uh he will now uh he's made himself a target um other people are going to be mad at him for earning money he won't learn anything himself he'll simply just be another victim you're basically creating a victim complex for this guy now you can basically chew her out and say look no I'm sorry that's not how being good works you're being mercenary about it um but she doesn't care whether you do good or evil she actually says look I just want you to question what you're doing I want you to be authentic I don't want you to you know be good or be evil I want you to be authentic in your choices um you know if you're being evil she's saying like look you're just taking advantage of people and you're being selfish and you're lessening yourself By doing that so this issue of authenticity and moral choices I think is is quite interesting I I you know we were discussing earlier um, what are some things that games can be doing better I think definitely um, games questioning the choices particularly questioning your right choices the choices that um, players are inclined to make not because the game wants to pass judgment on it but make sure the player has everything in mind Uh, when she or he makes these choices. You know, you want to hug Tali in Mass Effect 2, you want to comfort her. Um, Maybe you could even go further and say, look, what's your reasons for being there for Tali? Are you being her friend? Or do you want to bang her later? You know, um, I, I think that would be very interesting if more games did that.
0: I can definitely agree there. And I honestly think normally we'll come to the end of a conversation and we'll say... That's about as far as we can go with that. But I think here, that's actually a point where we can wrap up because that actually kind of leads into a separate conversation that could in and of itself easily you know spawn an hour to two hours worth of discussion. Because there's a lot to be said about the authenticity of moral interactions within a game, but I do feel like that is a good improvement point. And maybe there's a conversation to be had about how we could even get into that sort of thing using Mass Effect and Undertale and whatnot as a jumping-off point.
1: Definitely. That, that, that's the kind of thing that I'm going to have to think about for a while. I think that's definitely uh, something that I worry about and uh, ponder, especially, you know, when I'm pooping.
0: That's definitely a good place to do your thinking. Exactly. Because everybody poops. We sure hope so. I mean, I would imagine so, even if it's <laughs> into a bag,
1: <clears throat> oh, no, but it's an I, interesting game.
0: poop into a bag, oh my God um, <laughs> and on that note i do i do I do want to say that's a wrap for this week's episode i do I do want to say once again thank you to Mr. Jack Keishas for joining me on this episode. I really do appreciate that you were able to dedicate the time here.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it, and uh I'm sorry for rambling.
0: oh uh, no, it's it's I feel like this was a very informative discussion, and it's one of the first that we've had where it actually informed more involved later discussions, I think. So that's definitely of benefit, and it's something we're going to have to come back to. So, yeah, I know.
1: And if anybody gets anything out of this, then I am profoundly, uh, profoundly thankful for that.
0: Indeed. But if you liked what you listened to today, make sure that you like subscribe and comment you can find us on soundcloud itunes google music stitcher and basically anywhere else that hosts podcasts uh if you want to follow along with us off the outside of the podcast uh you can follow me on twitter over at mark b. Writing and facebook at mark b writing home uh i don't really think you have any sort of social media to plug here sir so i don't know do you want to plug anything really
1: uh no just you know go to a library read a book learn a book and then play video games, because video games
0: can improve your life. That's fair. Uh, but join us again next week when our topic would be why you should totally be able to bone Vivian in Dragon Age Inquisition. On behalf of Mr. Keisha's, this is Mark B. saying, stay safe out there, junkers.